Good afternoon, friends. Thank you for tuning in. Um, welcome to Defective HQ in London. We're kicking off our Back to Reality Week with a pretty stellar lineup on this panel with me today. Uh, this is about the new era of music companies. Um, we're going to ask you some quite, you know, tough questions. Is the traditional label really able to survive in this modern era? Um, so we've got quite the conversation with quite the crew. We're going to talk for about an hour. We'll be diving into like label thinking, shapes of the business, how you thrive, what makes them ready for success. We're going to talk about community and content and all of that good stuff. So let me do a couple of ridiculously stellar biogs. I'm going to start in no particular order. I'm going to start with Annie Norman from Anjuna Beats. Welcome, Annie. Thank you for uh, having me. Annie is head of live events for the London-based electronic dance music label Ajuna Beats and Ajuna Deep, founded by Grammy-nominated Trey Above and Beyond back in 2000. Since starting at the label in 2018, you produced events at venues like Drum Sheds, Huntington State Beach, O2 Arena in Prague, uh, the Asia World Expo in Hong Kong, and a whole bunch of other wonderful places around the world that's making me, frankly, want to get on an aeroplane. Annie works close with the label's marketing streaming teams, developing meaningful partnerships in the fitness, in the wellness space. Uh, and Juna um, operate under the Involved Group umbrella, working across recordings, publishing live, and artist management for the likes of Above and Beyond and Lane A and Ben Barrymore and Yotta and all of that good stuff. Welcome along. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, fantastic stuff. We've also got a very small audience here. It's, it's, it's all gone a bit zoo. I like this. Um, next up um, uh, is Chris Goss, Hospital Records. We've just realised we've met before a few times, but never in real life. Such is the state of play we're in these days. Chris is co-founder and MD at Hospital Records, of course, the leading DMB music brand. Established back in 96 with Tony Coleman, the pair made music as London Electricity. And then Chris um, came out of that whole music making thing in 2002 to build this amazing company that I'm sure so many of you love and know. Hospital pioneered artist development within the genre, discovering names such as High Contrast, Danny Birdnetsky. 2001 launched the Club Night Hospitality, which has grown into the award-winning park partying, beach banging brand that it is today. Beach banging, I didn't think I'd be saying that today. Um, Hospital have grown into their new premises in Hearn Hill, housing 28 plus staff, web shops, warehouse, studios, offices, alongside booking agency, clinic, talent, publishing wing songs in the key of knife. Chris, welcome along. Thank you very much. <laughs> this is good. We can just do this for an hour. <laughs> um, to my left is Collins from Kiwi Records. Uh, Collins, we've kept the bio uh, short, which I feel is really underselling. We've got DJ, producer, leading the whole UKG revival, making banging new school UK garage, founder of Kiwi Records, of course, which is the hub for the new producers, inventive with marketing, with merch. I want to get into the football shirts bit, YouTube streams, the merch bundles. Crucially, produced AJ, AJ Tracy's huge elaborate Grove tune. Welcome along. Thank you for having me here. And last, but by no means least, is Errol Anderson from Touching Base. Um, particularly exciting for me because of the, well, frankly, the description of it being almost like this, uh, this movement, this curatorial platform. Monthly dance, concert series, uh, record label, bi-weekly NTS residency, led by yourself and Alex, sustained by a whole community of your gang and your family and your friends, which I love. The ethos centers around, correct me if we're wrong, real life, human, spiritual ability of music, bringing people together, which I pretty sure we can all adhere to. Um, at the root lies TV Dance, a club night communicated via text, influenced by musical institutions like Plastic People. From the foundations grew two of the ongoing series Speaking in Sound, the 
intimate discussion series held at Brilliant Corners and the live concert series housed at Unit 31. In 2019, Touching Bass became a label, of course, releasing the highly respected debut album from multi-instrumentalist producer Hiatus Coyote drummer Clever Austin and over the years connecting with cultural community-driven institutions including the British Council, uh, 198 Gallery, the Tate Modern, remaining a priority um, all about young people, young networks, creating jobs, which we absolutely love. Most recently, delving deeper into the role of creator, hosting stages at the inaugural We Out Here, Turning Tides. Crikey, there's a lot you lot have been doing. <laughs> Welcome along. <clears throat> Thanks for having me. Right. If we've got any time left, we'll have a chat. Um, no, jokes aside, uh, let's get this thing going. Let's start with you, Annie Norman. Um, Pressure on. And I, and, I, and I, by the way, I'd love us to get into the, the thread of the wellness throughout everything. But just tell us a little bit about Anjuna. The biog perhaps doesn't give the, the full story. What's it even like running business like that? Marketing records, music in 2021. Do you need the events? Is that an essential part? Give us a bit of a, a feeling of what it's like working in Anjuna Towers. Well, to give a little bit of background on Anjuna, um, it was founded by Above and Beyond, who started the record label to release their own music that they were making in university. They kind of started shopping it around to major labels and realized that they could do the work themselves. And um, I think they were already really in touch with online communities and forums, and they were already speaking to their fan base way before kind of the rise of social media. So they um, realized the importance um, of speaking directly to fans immediately when they started. Um, so they founded Anjuna Beats um, in 2000 uh, to start releasing their own records and um, <laughs> and it's grown exponentially since then and it's now a 360 music business that, as, as we said earlier, has a publishing arm, an events business and um, multiple other record labels. Um, we started Anjuna Deep several years later to release the deeper sounds um, and the 360 nature of it, again, maybe explain to some of the people watching what that kind of means. You're mentioning events, for example. Is that a necessity or is, is that what you have to do these days, in your opinion, or is that more opportunistic? Yeah, I definitely think... <laughs> Fair. Um, I definitely think the music does the job of capturing an audience's attention. And once you've got their attention, it's about keeping it. And so we give them different opportunities and different moments, whether that's through social media, through events, um, or through different deeper experiences that help keep them coming back to us. And so it's not just about really loving a tune. It's about going to a show and reconnecting with all of your other fan friends and having those deeper, meaningful experiences that keep you coming back and keep you stayed, uh, keep you attached yeah. to the brand. I love that. So if you're a fan, you've got the ability to go deep, mm -hmm. to go and experience it for real or to watch it live or to listen to it in whichever way you think. Do you think, are you surprised that more perhaps companies aren't looking like that these days? Or do you think that's just a vision of the future the way everyone might need to be in, in the short or even the long term? I definitely think that's the way that things are moving forward. And I think it's really exciting for you know, more independent labels um, and smaller brands who are able to think bigger picture and do lots of, or have lots of touch points that they do very, very well and create this intimate experience. I think there's so much great music out there and so mm. many labels and so many artists making so much great stuff. Um, it's about doing what 
our specific thing very, very well and creating a whole universe around what we do. Um, so I think that in order to maintain your audience and, and a loyal audience, you really need to be doing all of those things. Chris, do you relate? Does that sort of make sense to you? Would you agree with most of those points and where you run a hospital? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, there's, you know, there's a, a lot of similarity between the two companies. Um, I mean, we started in 96, but it's, it's, you know, they're good friends. Having been down to their offices, it's a similar kind of structure. Um, I think the fact is, is that, you know, you know, the question is, let's say, you know, is it important to be able to do events these days? I mean, yeah, but it's really, really hard. I mean, Go it's on, never explain. been harder. Well, I mean, you know, just, apart from the fact that, you know, we're still in a pandemic. Yeah. If you look at the uh, some of the financial challenges, the licensing challenges, and we've, we've actually thankfully just completed our weekend in the woods uh, just this weekend gone um, on the on the train coming up, um, I find that there's a, already a report in the Daily Mail bemoaning our event because it was too noisy and the, the local residents don't like it's the it. Daily Mail, and you know, in some respects, it's kind of like it's like a badge of honour. You know, if you can if you can piss off the Daily Mail, I mean, you know, you're going to feel a bit better about your Job working done. day. Um, but you know, as, as everyone here knows, the the um, the financial investment, the emotional uh, person power investment in doing any kind of event, whether you're doing a 500 cap or like you know a day long show, let alone two days, you guys are defected know this really well. These these are huge investments for a company to maintain. We've been doing club shows for uh, 20 years, um, but we only started doing club shows because basically no one would book us. You know, and where we were at that point in drum and bass, you know, we were getting offered the really crap slots. You know, it's like, yeah, bruv, come play the back room <laughs> <Yeah>. early. <laughs> and you're like, well, no, like, you know, you, you do a couple of those gigs, but like, as any artist or label knows, you get to the point where like, okay, if no one's going to book you, you just got to go and do it yourself. So you start doing your like monthly midweek for 300 people. And if you're lucky, six years later, you can maybe sell a thousand tickets and you do things differently. But the, the, the whole idea is, is that no one's going to do it as well as you do it yourself in terms of commitment and focus and passion. So you just learn on the job, you make a bunch of mistakes, and if you're lucky, you get to do, I don't know, fabric, ministry, Finsbury Park, etc. Simon, I think, actually describes the defected way its origins were the same. He said, well, to guarantee people will play our records, I'll put my own show on. <laughs> but he's yeah. sort of self-deprecating in the way that you've just described. But of course, it ends up, ends up being an essential pillar. If you could design it again now, would you design it with the pillar of events at the heart of things? Or would that still be a nice to have? Or? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think I would. But then, you know, I got into music like so many people, like college, you know, I, I started DJing, you know, house parties. Uh, I started DJing in Leeds. I was saying something the other day, like, you know, my first proper gig was I used to do a five-hour residency in Leeds. I get paid a tenner and my transport was 20 quid, you know. Um, but for me, the performing side of it, the event side of it was, well, it's, it's dance music, right? So you're obviously going to do shows. Yeah. Um, and in some respects, yeah, I think the way that it's evolved for us has been great because we've been able to slowly build what we've been trying to do, learn as we go, which is true about every facet of the business that we run. Um, but yes, I think I think realistically, especially if you work in drum and bass, you know, it's I mean, it's proper underground, genuinely underground music. Always has been. It's now 30 years strong, but uh, you learn absolutely a DIY DIY culture and an mm. ethic that mm. you take into that. Um, 
and absolutely shows and events need to be very much the lifeblood of what you do because we got into it to promote our artists. We didn't get into it just to be a big time promoter and compete with everyone else because frankly, when we got into it, every other promoter and drama base is way bigger than us. Yeah, right. But so we did shows purely to promote our own artists. Yeah. And we've done that consistently for years. When you do shows on the scale that we do now, of course, I mean, we had 153 artists this, this weekend, wow. which, is, which is tremendously exciting, especially when it goes from, you know, uh, someone like Sherelle right the way through to DJ Hype. You know, that's, that's a fantastic place to be, well, cool. you know? Um, Errol, moving on to you. How does that compare? Particularly, it feels to me, but I'd love you to correct me or perhaps tell us the truth. It feels to me that you start from such a different space. It feels quite unique what it is that you guys have been up to and words like movement really resonate with me. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, I assume you've got the same work ethic that Chris was describing and, you know, all of the, sh the sheer amount of hours that needed to be put in. Tell us a little bit about where you come from there. Yeah, so definitely sharing that same resourcefulness that I know a lot of us will, will definitely um, resonate with. But I think the touching base, I mean, if I go re really, really all the way back to the to the beginning, it comes from the idea of going to my, my family's house parties and like family parties where it was all just like multi-generational. You know, you had your granddads and grand grandmas dancing with like the little kids running between legs and stuff. Wicked. And I, I think that energy is ultimately what made me want to begin touching base as a, as a club night really? among other things. Yeah, yeah, just that, so that nice. spirit of, of getting people together, really. Um, so... In terms of yeah, what club, uh, what we've built with Touching Base has very much been on this this idea of community. That's mm. always been the basis of it because, you know, I think I think back to going back to even my first club nights. There was very much, you know, you would see the same faces when you're going out. You're, you're meeting the same people, and obviously that you're sharing the same music loves, um, and. You know, say here we are in 2021, and, and and it's still very much the same spirit. You know, the best way to meet people and understand what they're about is to just meet them and be on the same dance floor. Um, so yeah, touching base is built around that ethic, really. And that's the filter and the lens with which you do everything and that you put everything on and any event and activation, that's the start point. It has to feel like a community-led piece, right? 100%. And what would you say that's something people are keeping a close eye on? Would other people copy that approach do you think do you think people frankly value the sense of community that you guys have so naturally built do you think that's a much more commonplace maybe for labels and music companies to now try and mirror and try and do the same yeah i mean but I w i'd also say we're not necessarily reinventing the wheel you know so many of the movements that we know and love have actually just come from mm. that same spirit and that same energy um i just think that maybe perhaps in 2021 people are looking at it in a way as if it's novel and new it's mm. not you know, the texting service that we do in order to get people down to our parties is... 100%. Tell us more about that, because that's almost infamous. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things, again, it's, it's almost like a hark back to rave days before my time, of course, but still very much, you know, I know it works, you know what I mean? And it gets people excited. And I think, um, yeah, the whole reason behind the texting service was as a means of growing something organically in a space where, you know, social media is great, it has so many plus points. Um, there are also points where I feel like I'm a bit allergic to hype sometimes as well. And I, I want things yeah. to be slow cooked and feel like they've yeah. grown over. Slow some, cooked, yeah, I like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the texting service was just a natural way of being like, look, I'm going to meet someone. I'm going to hand them a phone number. Is, is it really bespoke? Or do you, because that idea of one-to-one -one feels very much like the way Annie described the origins, right, of Anjuna, that kind of very personal relationship with fans. 
and I love that term slow cooked. I'm definitely stealing that. <laughs> but, but that is it very one to one in that respect. It feels very unique. Yeah. You're totally. telling me right now what's going to be happening this Friday. I'm telling you what's happening. I'm telling you when, when the next dance is, when the next party is. And I get people texting me, be like, oh, so what is there like? Is it is it cash only on the bar? You know, it can get really personal. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can actually text people back and be like, yeah. yo, like I'm talking directly to you. And I feel like in a space where, you know, social media reaches to everybody, it reaches it's 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 very much like Yeah. It's speaking to the masses at some times. I um, love that. But I think that we all need a bit of t- personal touch and who doesn't want to be spoken to by their you know their favorite DJs or whatever. You know? I wonder if there'll be more of that. I sense there might be because that antithesis of the hype train of social feels mm. very refreshing when you describe it like that. And feels like I've got a special place as part of that community. I mean, like honestly, like I can remember sitting on a Nokia three ten typing out how to kind of get people to Herbal <laughs> two thousand and one. Wicked. And it's just taking forever. You know, like sending it to like well, twenty five people. Didn't have like, text then, did they? <laughs> And then, like, you play Snake for a moment, then you get back to it. Like, that's amazing. I love it. Um, Collins, we've, we've already heard loads there from, like, this unbelievably, like, direct-to-fan kind of involvement to the, the sheer kind of start point, the amount of hours you have to put in, the, frankly, the efforts in terms of events. Tell us a little bit about how you see things at Kiwi. Are all of those familiar kind of stories to you? Is it very different with what you guys are up to? Give us a bit of a flavour, mate. No, I think it's exactly the same. We all, each, like, everyone's story there, I can, like, like draw a bit from. Similar to, like, a junior, um, to Above and Beyond, I was, mm. when I was making music, I would kind of, I was in a bad record deal at the time in, like, 2016 or mm. so, and I felt as if um, Garage is a difficult one because as great as the genre is, it's like kind of clouded in nostalgia, and I felt as if, what I was trying to do was not get caught up in that and nostalgia can like, it's one of the best emotions but also the most toxic as well. So for me, it was trying to find a way to um, just kind of exist um, without having this kind of heavy burden on me. Um, but I realized that it was just, not myself, but I was kind of being, I was like in this tunnel vision and thinking, cool, I need to do this, so I need to do that. And uh, I had this, just, this moment of realization of not being able to release music then thinking, Look, there's these, all these DJs I play. I like music. I, music I play, but it's out of context. Like I'm playing these festivals. There's no other garage DJs. There's no other garage producers with me. So I just thought, nah. Like, let me just start the label. Let me just have like an output, a resource that people can like jump into and jump out. And yeah, from there, it's been like a. It's just been really, really good. I can't. Um, in terms of community, I think that's what's also been great. In terms of, there's this new what we managed to kind of hone in on was that you have like the past generation who have listened to like Flowers or listened to like So Solid Crew. And I think fortunate, I was blessed enough to kind of have that moment with Labrick Grove where it's kind of created that, that moment where like 15, like my, my younger sister has like her Flowers or her like So Solid Crew. And then kind of channeling and like using that kind of audience. And yeah, again, like the direct to consumer thing, we've like texted people our releases or for like Christmas, we'd say, oh, sign up to this number and you get like a, f- like a free bag of tunes. Um, last weekend, no, a couple of weekends ago on the bank holiday we did, we just said to fans, show us your house. If it's good enough, we'll turn up and do a house party. We did like four house parties. <laughs> Bloody hell, <that's, laughs> that is bold. We got, like a, we got like a bus. The whole thing, oh, was, like, <laughs> the whole thing was like based around uh, the vaccine. So we called it like, it was, we did a mix called Kiwi Boost. And I was like the doctor giving, it was, I was giving everyone a oh second. Oh my gosh. The mix was you the were first. You dressed as a doctor? Yeah, so the... <laughs> 
<laughs> so wow. the, the boost, the boost, um, the mix was the first boost, and the second dose was um, the, the actual house party. Oh, this is amazing. <laughs> so we managed amazing. to, yeah, it was great. It was just like, again, like actually connecting with people because, like you say, with social media, you speak to the masses and stuff, and then I think, especially with like the younger generation, you think, ah, oh, it's like it doesn't hit certain numbers. Oh, people taking this in, like what's going on? Like this is dead, da, da, da. but nothing beats that like real life intimacy of when you see people in person. Like oh, I love this release. It's just, I think the fatigue just kind of gets over everyone. But yeah, in terms of, I love that. <laughs> that that anecdote is wicked. But, but the notion that's well, you know some of the so much of what you just said there, that intimacy, that personal nature, which feels again very familiar to some of the things we talked about. I just want to pick up another point which I found really interesting. You're mentioning of nostalgia, and Chris would like you to quickly talk about that as well. But, you know, we, so we're sat in the surroundings at the moment, perhaps can't be seen on camera, but, you know, our Glitterbox brand, for example, is ultimately, you know, it's got its disco origins, but Simon Dunmore's so keen to continually move it forward so it doesn't get lost in nostalgia. So there's Harris Newcomb mural yeah. behind us, who's some wicked photographer artist, to make sure it cuts through in a different way. Tell us more about how you leverage nostalgia, which is a very powerful force, but how you don't get consumed by it and go down a wormhole that everyone, frankly, can copy you. I think what the thing is about nostalgia, especially within music, I think it's just about... For me, I've always loved history and it's about understanding and grasping the roots. Nice. Once you have a, like, a real understanding and grasp of it, then you're fine because you can pay homage and respect what's come before you, but then go forward and like, actually interpret what that's meant, what it means to you now. Whereas if I feel like there's that like, split where people can kind of take in nostalgia and just appreciate like, stuff which was bad about nostalgia or what was, because it was, it was like 20 years ago, so it must have been good. Um, and I feel like, what we've tried to do is always try and respect what's been before and incorporate, it, incorporate that, whether it be like via the music or the sounds or artwork or the names, but then give it that twist that this is what it means to the 20 year olds today or this is what it means to me today. And I feel like it's always hard, it's always difficult and you're always gonna get pushback and resistance. But yeah, I think the key to it really is just kind of, as long as you really understand the history and the roots, you can obviously take stuff forward. And I feel like, again, like Little Box Defected, so many labels do that now. I love that. And would you say it's similar to sort of producing something like the AJ Tracer record? Is that, it's obviously a benefit. But again, do you have to sort of move past that because people can get stuck on those things that are ultimately kind of hits or best known for? I think the, the thing about the AJ tune was that I never, even making that tune, I never had, I didn't think it was even going to be on his album. Like, it was one of those ones nice. where, like, you make a tune, I was like, cool, I've got this tune with this rapper, like, one of the best rappers in the UK. It's got a sample of one of the best, like, R&B singers in the UK at the time. If it does well, it does well. I can just use that to kind of die. People will be like, oh, he produced this tune, conducted it. Of the 40% that do that, they'll be like, oh, he has a label, call of that 20%. They're going to see who else I'm like releasing. I'm releasing music from Sammy Virgie or Prescribe yeah, the Vibe. Yeah. And then it was just kind of challenging on that. I, like, I didn't think it would snowball the way it did. And then when it did, like, go to the heights it did, it's been good because I've never chased that moment again. I've never, I think I've kind of learned in terms of just kind of navigating through music and stuff. And obviously being in my doing stuff before, I was in a space where I could channel that energy and not go and chase a moment, but then like, just like fulfill the ecosystem because I feel. With garage, in, with, with garage in particular, that um, prior to like the last few years, it wasn't really sustainable, and we've always seen the thing of like resurgence or just the same old kind of narrative. And I feel like for me, it was important to kind of break that cycle of cool. There can be these articles that there might be a resurgence and stuff, but if all these labels go and make 
20 garage tunes from like pop artists and stuff. We've still got this ecosystem here and the pendulum can swing. People can still go and make their pop tunes and stuff or I might go and make a tune with like a really big artist, but I'm, I'm still fulfilling like my roots and like paying homage to what's got me to this point before. Whereas if you have like artists who, again, like it's no like begrudging to them, but they might not be in it for the right reasons. They just go and do stuff to go in not pillage the community, mm. but just do stuff for their own gain. And yeah. I feel like for me, again, with community, what's been central is kind of making sure that you're just fulfilling everyone. Everyone's fulfilled and the foundation is always there because I don't want, for me, I wouldn't want the genre to kind of go through what it went through before. It was a dirty word or like, yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. Well, and Chris, would you say, I suspect there are some similarities and I mean that respectfully of course sure. and we all work in perhaps certain parts of music where it's, it's been around for a while in a beautiful brilliant way there's a history to it there's a legacy to it there's past hits to it how do you ensure perhaps through the, your marketing or perhaps your approach to A&R or new artists how do you ensure that you continually are looking forward in ultimately music that's not been around for a while yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess you know, Gary's drum and bass, you know, these are genres that, you know, as soon as they emerged, you know, at those times, they were probably the single most exciting things happening in music at that yeah. point. And then give it three years and everyone tries to kill it off, right? And every magazine interview you do, people are like, oh, bruv, it's all, it's all finished, right? It's all over. I mean, in 99, I was doing interviews like, oh, it's a real shame drum and bass is finished, right? <laughs> Uh, you know, 99. and they were like, yeah, because, you know, like breaks is just taking over and then dubstep took over and then garage came back and took over. And, you know, you're just like the, the good thing about being as old as I am is that you just don't really care anymore. Yeah. You know, you're just like, oh, is it that story this week? What, whatever. But that, fine. But but that, but I know you're, you're semi joking, but is there a truth in that of you have to remain single minded and thick skinned to that? But of course, but, around you? And, 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 you know, but that starts from the fact that because, you know, you, you, you've got to really want to do drum and bass to get. If you're going to be in it, I'm not. I'm not being funny. We, you know, we call it the cockroach of dance music. You just, you, no matter what, you can't get rid Some of it. Amazing quotes. And already. so, like, <laughs> but the benefit of being 30 years deep is that actually, people can't deny it. They just can't. You know, like f yeah. f for me, the touchstone was reggae. You know, reggae was a type of music that would always have like, you know, there'd be a season. And everyone would want a reggae tune and then it would just apparently die off again. But you kind of go, hold on, this music has just been around forever. And we're now, finally, we're at that point with drum and bass. From our perspective, you know, as a record label, my passion has only been to celebrate the tempo and to go from one end That's of that yardstick to the other so that we have artists such as maybe Camo and Crooked and Metric mm. at the very big kind of anthemic kind of power anthem end right the way through to artists like uh, Bop who's from Moscow who kind of makes ambient music and techno and everything in between that uh, and the benefit of I guess now being 25 years young is that not just that we have that spread of artists right across the BPM uh, they are very different ages and experiences we have artists in their late teens early 20s we have artists in their well, 60s because Tony, my business partner, is still making brand new music and, and as a central part of the label. Um, so in a way, the way that I think we view the roster, which is mirrored by the way that we try and uh, put on the big events, is to celebrate the tempo and to celebrate the history of the tempo. That's nice. So, you know, like at the Woods, I mean, you know, one of my favourite sets was Dillinger and GQ playing a 94 to 98 set because that's me all day long, right? And then you have Sherelle turning out with Chickaboo and you have Particle and Waze who look like they're too young to even get in. 
right and that's that that that's the joy of what i, I think that. we're able to do and so i absolutely celebrate nostalgia but you don't you can do that not at the expense of cutting edge brand new music so beautifully put about celebrating the tempo before we move on uh, to annie just tell us a tiny bit more because you were mentioning the roster and you were giving the beautiful breadth there of the kind of people playing just last weekend tell us a bit more about Frankly, a and finding people, finding talent right now in 2021, 22. There's some assumptions about how it's done, but give again, give the people watching a bit of a glimpse. How the hell is it done? Is it, is it old school? Hopefully, but not exclusively, because uh, there's something special about being sent a demo, even though, you know, uh, it's not a cassette anymore <laughs> or even a CDR. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's a link or an email. The worst thing is if it's a 64 megabyte WAV that someone's attached to an email, like, what are you doing? <laughs> so um, there is still the, the traditional process is, I think, essential. Uh, and I've always said to emerging producers, you should know how to present yourself to people like us with maybe one or two tracks, politely, clearly, with contact details and then go away and leave it with us and don't bother us and don't give me a hard time. Um, but I think maybe, for me, maybe the challenge these days is the reality of the digital landscape and uh, social media and Spotify and SoundCloud. There's a massive danger that I think people like us, when we A&R, we get slightly blinded by numbers and start kind of going, oh yeah, 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 yeah. How many monthly listeners? Yeah. Um, and I think we have to be very consciously kicking against that so that we don't do that at the expense of the quality of the music and the originality and the uniqueness that has helped all of us build what we do. Um, I'll be honest. it can be an illusion. Some of those numbers can be just ultimately a bit misleading. It can be an illusion, but also I think surely we would all probably know that in our gut, maybe we're taking a signing for the wrong reasons. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. If someone turns up, wanting to do a project and they've got a million monthly listeners I'm all ears because yeah. that's a great kickoff point but one of our recent signings who's called Unglued um, when he came to us he was a guy making Bass House and I, I don't really know what Bass House is but he was making some kind of jungle drum and bass which was so good that we signed him and, and he didn't have an artist name and he had nothing and that's the first time that we've done that really probably in sort of 10-12 years and it's a bit of a slog, you know, your marketing department just look at you and roll their eyes and like, cheers, thanks. We've got nothing. But then you say, but hold on, we can do everything from the ground up. And first couple of years, yeah, you had to really, really dig in. And then before you know it, he has a big tune and he's absolutely on his way. That's great. And it's really exciting to be part That's of that. And uh, You mentioned uh, the marketing department there and perhaps the the uh, blank white canvas that they had with artists like that. Annie, tell us a little bit, because some of the great stuff here when people watch is an ability for us to lift the lid on what physically it is actually like. Tell us a little bit in terms of your role. So when you are, for example, uh, producing all of these unbelievable events globally in all sorts of different places, tell us how that works with the marketing team or the promotion teams. Or is are you a part of all of that? Like, How do these things actually come off? How do they come to fruition right now? And yeah, just give us a glimpse, if you like, of a business like in June in 21 putting on this amazing stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, it is really a massive team effort. Um, and it really starts with working with great partners. We work with a lot of other great promoter partners. Um, and then it's a collaboration from there, from announcing the show all the way until producing the show and getting everybody on site and off site and making sure that our brand is weaved through all the entire 
um, in, from start to finish. And that bit specifically, is that tough to do? Is there a, a kind of a tightrope you have to walk to ensure that you remain, frankly, on brand or you don't curtail too much to the partner that you're working with? Is that difficult? It, so long as we get ahead of it, it's usually okay. And it's a bit of a grind to make sure that in the initial conversations, this is what we want. And we're very clear about it from the onset. And if that's going to be an issue, then they're not going to be the partner for mm. us. Um, from there, we have a really great internal marketing team, of which Duncan over here kind of heads up. And, uh, and so I think we're now five people strong, six people strong on our marketing team. And we also have a great art department. So we have an event idea, maybe it's a, an existing event brand like Anjuna Deep Open Air or Group Therapy Weekender. Um, and we have a specific brand that the art team, art team has already developed that then gets fused in um, or infused with the event production. Um, so it kind of starts almost with the artwork and the brand and the key art. And then we, um, and then, and so, then, yeah. So, so it begins with that moment of creativity to try and bring it to life. Yeah. But how important, so you, you of course put on an event just a couple of weeks ago, drum sheds, mm -hmm. and a couple of our guys went down and said it was spectacular. Something like that. Are you got, have you got pressures on one side in terms of physically getting people to an event? Probably more pressures these days, as Chris was touching upon because of the mm -hmm. era post-pandemic that we're in. Mm -hmm. Presumably you've got that in terms of we're, it's a numbers game versus this needs to be spectacular versus this needs to be true to our brand versus we need to make sure this feels brand new and unique. Tell us a bit about that kind of mix on a day-to-day -day basis. That feels yeah. a lot for people listening and watching, right? Yeah, yeah. You definitely have to spin a lot of plates, and it's a constant conversation to make sure. Are we, are we selling it enough? Is the promoter happy? Um, are the artists helping us support the, the promotion aspect? Are we giving the artists and the promoters enough material? Do we need to make more content um, to help promote the show? And um, I think... Fortunately, we have this incredibly loyal fan base mm. that will fly from 60 different countries, which is a little bit of a sustainability issue that we're trying to deal with at the moment. But they will come from all over the world to come see whatever shows that we do. And I know you're half joking, but is that a, <laughs> I presume that's a real issue that you're actually looking at. And I know with some of the thread of the work that you've been doing in terms of well-being throughout the business too. How do we all deal with that going forward over the next few years? People flying in from Australia to a European event. Is that cool? Um, it's tricky, isn't it? <laughs> in a word. We're all, we're all wrestling with the same conversations. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it's uh, it's just got to move to the top of the agenda, basically, yeah. when you're planning an event, just with when you're curating the lineup, when you're thinking about the brand. You've also We've also just hired um, a sustainability officer who's wow. now sitting in, top, in those initial meetings when we talk about, we've got this great event idea. We want to go do a five-day festival in, in the, the, on the Med, but... How are we going to get people there sustainably? Let's make sure that conversation is is. is See, I think that's so interesting, and, and full credit to you. And whilst we're talking about companies and how they're suited to a modern era, the fact that you have that role in place, planning for the future, I think that's that definitely wasn't there 20 years ago. Tell us a, again, just picking up a couple of bits you were mentioning, and again, because I know so this is so useful for so many who have no idea the importance of your community and your lovely relationship with your fans. Tell us how it works. It's one thing getting people there, and it's one thing promoting it the right way. What about when the artists are there? Do you does that sort of go back into the machine in terms of the music that's played, the records that's played, your serving up exclusives? Is that as much part of your job, seeing how the community can see it? outside of the event, for example, covering it on your socials as anything else? Yeah, I mean, the Above and Beyond's group therapy um, 
live show is a really good example of that. Um, group Therapy is Above and Beyond's weekly radio show, which they've been running since the beginning of the starting the record label, where they showcase the new music coming out on the label that week. Um, so every 50 episodes, once a year, we do this live broadcast celebration um, where we're playing all of the new tracks for the next year. These are the these are the songs to pay attention to, and we broadcast that and get a whole host of hot content for the rest of the year. Um, but but yeah, that's a really that's a really it, it, it's a great marketing tool for the rest of the year. As yeah, well. and essential to keep everyone mm -hmm. in the loop. It sounds an amazing and what a mix too. Um, Errol, tell us a little bit about uh, the transition, the way you describe that almost family-like beginning that inspired you to keep this kind of lens of community throughout, which I think is so nice. Tell us about that moment, though, of change, perhaps, of you're then a record label as well. Do those things sit snugly together? Did it change the way you might look of being a record label? Did you learn off others around you? Like, can you just do that? Is that an easy thing, just to become a label? <laughs> no. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Done. No, but I think, um, yeah, the transition made sense for me from the beginning. You know, when I first envisioned what Touch and Bass would be, I, I saw it being more than the singularity. And that's definitely coming from, you know, looking at what's come before. Um, and, and various other favorite labels that have, you know, started off perhaps as a radio show even, and then it's extended into a club night, and then it's extended into something else, you know. But I think in terms of what you were saying right at the beginning of the talk, you know, it, it's just about trying to make that a cohesive universe, because they all make sense to exist. Yeah. And it's like just a network of similar things coming together to, I guess, broaden and enhance the experience of the people that are involved in it. Because so that's your start point. Yeah. I'm doing this because that's going to make it a better time for that person. Precisely. Yeah, yeah. It's going to it's going to make sense to the to the person involved. It's it's just kind of more of what they want or what what they might be interested in, but perhaps on a different angle, a different skew. You know. So, yeah, the record label felt really natural, really, um, from the community and from the club night that we started people that were into the music started to come down to it, of course. And that involved musicians, that involved creatives of various um, mediums. And so the first step, of course, would be to, to talk to that community and be like, oh, have you got, you've been working on any music? You know what I mean? And it just makes sense yeah. that, I guess, you know, the music that was being made was, is of a similar ilk, or at least um, energetically yeah, feels yeah. Simil similar or coming from the same space because, you know, it's not like we're coming from, say, 20 or 30 years ago where, you know, you're very much like into garage and that was your one thing or you were into drum and bass or you're into grime and that was your one thing. I feel like everyone's got access to Spotify and various other mediums and ways of finding music. So, um, you know, talking to a fan or, or someone who's interested about music that can spread across many genres isn't that's not alien at all you know we're all interested in so much but music. it's only up to you because that feels like that's been part of your mindset from the start mm. and the way you're describing yourselves or certainly you know it's written as that curator full stop so i suspect there's similarities where you might curate a stage to the way you might run a label would that be right definitely yeah i think that eclecticism has definitely been at the root of what we've done yeah um but as i say energetically it feels this, this makes sense yeah and that can mean anything from jazz all the way up to jungle or up to you know like broken beat or whatever it whatever it happens to be i think that um in terms of the way that we've been speaking about touching base from the very beginning it's just like coming with an open mind yeah and you know you come in and expect whatever music you get and yeah. hopefully you you trust us you entrust us enough to take you on 
a good journey. You know I mean? your, your point about making sure it's right energetically doesn't feel very far removed from celebrating the tempo that Chris describes, albeit different start points, different places, different eras, different stars. But I love the fact that, that they are, if you like, part of its origins. And tell us, Errol, if you don't mind, just a tiny bit more about it feels as well that beyond just your perhaps lovely added value for fans, you care an awful lot about the next generation, the youth, how you can actually do more for them, bring in more into it from work perhaps with the likes of the British Council. Tell us perhaps a bit about one or two of those projects or how that moves going forward. Like, is it a big point of you guys, full stop, attaching base that you've got to frankly care about the next crew and the next ones, you know, ready to join up and be a part of this thing? Yeah, I mean, I just see it as a next necessary kind of like spoke on the wheel, as it were. I think that um, I recognise that, you know, you were talking about history and knowing where you come from kind of thing. We are just, you know, we've got the baton at the moment in, in various, you know, I feel like you guys have the baton as well and whatever's happening here. I just think that it makes sense that, okay, in the same way that I learned from what has come before, it's like, okay, let's start to sow the seeds or at least make it easier for those people that are coming after us, you know, so they're not having to kind of work on the same puzzles. They might have the, they already have the, the keys to the, to those doors. If that I makes love sense. that. Yeah. You speak very poetic, Errol. Huh. I'm into, I'm into, I'm into all of these things. So do you feel when you are holding that band that there is a responsibility that it's not just about taking some money and doing some cool stuff and sticking some music out. You feel a genuine responsibility right here, right now. Yeah. 100%, you know, um, yeah, I just think it's maybe just the, the way that I am in terms of the people that we're around. I think, Again, coming back to that community element and going back to those early kind of like house parties that my parents were putting on, it was multi-generational. Mm. You learn from your elders. You learn from what they did, what they did right, what they did wrong, and you essentially want to yeah do. I think, nice. I think one one thing is that let, let's be honest. Starting a record label these days, I mean that is really really tough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is it what sixty thousand tracks a day uploaded to Spotify? If you think about the sheer level of noise that is online now, you know, from when we started, you know, and one thing that I miss was, I used to love that pace of life because it was slow. <laughs> Tunes had time to yeah. simmer and build and let alone you had time to press a record and sell some white labels and do that kind of thing. But now you look at the landscape and it's, it's rammed. And, you know, I've got to be honest, there's a lot of crap out there. Mm. So, as people, you know, start to be inspired to start their own brand, start their own their own like record labels, and quite likely they will be digital only because how hard is it to actually press a record these days because of the desperate state of the vinyl pressing industry. But trying to get your head head and shoulders above all of that white noise everywhere is tough. Really, really tough. Mm. Collins, do you agree in terms of the the challenge, if you like, that that Chris has described, but also the way Errol talked about that feeling of responsibility when the baton's in your hand. You're doing some amazing stuff, making some amazing music. Do you feel a responsibility or is that, no, 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 this is for me actually, and then if they like it, fantastic. I think 100% I feel responsibility, but I think that does go down to the person. I think the kind of person that you are. Yeah. I think there's people who have been in similar positions to maybe I have you. I think it's different, or because I've been like an artist and I chose to make a record label, it's like you either do it for your own, so either your own passion project, or you're doing it to fulfill other people and it's like a selfless thing. And for me, that's what, that's what I take pride in because what's everything that I do if I can't like give it back? Like it just doesn't really make any sense. Like it just- I love that. Um, it's pointless in terms of starting a label, completely agree. Um, I mean, we start, I started Kiwi in 2019, beginning of 2019. 
and the kind of strategy in terms of me not wanting it to be like another label or just another digital label was kind of pl placing emphasis on mixes. Okay. I feel like growing up for me, like essential mixes or whenever I listened to a mix, I really took it in. I would listen to that from me going to school, me coming back to school. I listened to it on the way to football. I'd, it would just be my, it would be my, like my bread and butter. So for me, it was, we had this whole thing for the start of the label, we called it the Kiwi Manifesto. And that was kind of like a call to arms of like, this is what we're setting out to do. And then we kind of made... What else was in the Kiwi Manifesto? <laughs> no, no, I, love the, I love the sound of that. Give us some more flavour, go on. No, the Kiwi Manifesto was just, again, it was kind of about creating a sustainable ecosystem for Garage, respecting what had come before, but then nice. showing a new breadth of like sound. And that was kind of the call to arms. Then we had the Kiwi Manifesto. Then we had the Kiwi Crush. And the Kiwi Crush, again, was, um, it was a cocktail. And this was like a mix of tracks. It was a soundtrack in the summer from... Each, each like mix that we had, each mix series basically kind of highlighted, kind of similar to how Ajuna did, um, Ajuna do it yeah, in yeah. terms of this is the music to watch out for, this is what we might be releasing, nice. these are some of the artists who are going to be playing some of the shows. And again, it's given that feel of, because people just do guest mixes all the time now and it's like, what does a guest mix really mean? Like, no one, no one even has the time to like, listen for two hours or something. So it was kind of, yeah, branding the mixes, giving them a personality and kind of actually getting my personality through the label and that was kind of how I tried to make it stand out um, in terms of being above the noise and yeah, just kind of simmering through because again, like you were saying in terms of numbers, you look at stuff and you're like, oh, like, is this gonna hit or is this gonna be the right thing to do? But even in terms of like developing artists or signing artists, for me, it's a beautiful thing that you just give artists that moment rather than like streams aren't gonna pay them. I know that they're not, we're not gonna, we probably won't like recoup from this, but giving that moment so it's like, oh, cool. If someone discovers them, they might get booked for this. Putting them at the Club Kiwi night, cool. They're gonna, someone like 10 people might really like them and they've got fans and then they're gonna go and see them and they get booked again and again. It's just like laying this, potting the seed and then seeing that grow and like blossom is the best thing. That's a really interesting way of looking at it. So you create those moments, not just so the moment is a marketing moment to generate streams, but it's a moment for them full stop to go and work in all sorts of different places. Tell us more as well about some of the stuff you've said this morning, this afternoon, this morning, whatever we are, um, has made us all chuckle and laugh. There's a, your personality comes through in your marketing because there's an irreverence, there's a fun, there's a strength of personality full stop, which I think is so welcome in the musical landscape stop right now tell us more about some of that like is that just important to you is that just a case of we need to stand out so i'm going to make this a little bit nuts or i feel like it's just me as a person i've always been a bit i've just been that's just it's just my personality i've always <laughs> just been a bit like loud a bit weird a bit just trying to like be as extroverted as possible but um i just feel as if not that dance music is really serious but for me it was just nice to kind of yeah, just not, not like take myself so seriously or not Love take it. things so seriously and have a kind of just fun. But the music's also fun as well. And it's not, we're not taking the piss. I still like understand everything. I'm not coming from a point where I'm mocking or yeah. kind of um, disrespecting what's come before. It's just kind of just having a new kind of outlook on it. Because to me, I'd just seen stuff and yeah, I just didn't, the way everyone else was doing stuff, not I didn't like it, it just didn't appeal to me. And I wanted something that I was like, there must be like, a hundred other people like me who want to see stuff in a different way, who want to like have fun and not, um, yeah, kind of just taking the same old stuff that they've been fed. And it was about just giving people a new kind of avenue to take that. in garage music and having a space where, again, it's like, it's fun. Yeah. It's not, 
it's young people. It's all, it's not like Moschino and like champagne and stuff. It's people drinking like Magnums and Strongbow. Like it's just, it's Red Stripe. It's just, it's something that kind of feels, again, not to disrespect like stuff has come before, but just give people, this is what it means now. This is what we're having fun and let's enjoy it. Go on, Chris. I really get it. You know, when we, when we arrived in drum and bass, drum and bass was super serious, you know, and the music was great, but the, like the packaging, some of the vibe at the parties was like, it was not our thing. And we were coming in from like left field, like we were basically into jazz. And, you know, the way you name a label, the way you do your packaging, the way you name your tracks, the way you present these, you know, these little nuggets to, to your fans is, first of all, it's how you arrive, how you build your character and how you define that I'm on my own path. I'm kind of part of this scene, but I'm, I'm on my own path. And I think that's fundamental. It was it was when we started and it is now. I think I think it's more important now than it's ever been. Same. Because of that, because of all that white noise and because of those thousands of tracks being uploaded every day, artists, labels, creatives need you know, you, you need to find your lane and you need to know how to express yourself and you need to put as much effort into your artwork and your and your concepts and your ideas. But at the same time, the one thing for me also is that don't ever lose sight of the quality of the tunes. And I, one thing I understand and I get from emer particularly emerging young artists, for them, I feel like, you know, they, they come into a music scene where really putting a track out is basically to get more gigs or to double your fee. I, I understand the business, but for me, putting a track out was because it was the very best thing that you had to express musically in that six month period. Because you know you had to spend thousands of pounds just to get it in the shops, yeah, yeah. right? You had to spend tens of thousands of pounds on the equipment in your studio to make the record. When you've got a two second sampler, this stuff is hard, you know? And the, the one thing that I think sadly these days that we're in danger of losing sight of is just the quality of the tunes. You know, because like, you know, kids are making tunes on their iPads and their phones and kind of going, well, look, I've got a gig on Friday, so um, let's just put it out. Like, no, it shouldn't it be the other way around? But when, when you hear the, the, these kind of stories and that level of creativity and imagination, that's what it's about. You know, you, you've, you've also got to have that within you, within your arsenal to get it right, I think. I absolutely love that. Do you think this sort of, um, if you like, respect is more healthy and real than ever, would I be right in saying? And I guess, because I agree and I couldn't be more kind of into and, and admiring some of the, the, the smart ideas and frankly purpose-driven and the thinking that we've all been discussing this morning. Is that a post-pandemic thing? Are we all up for working close together? Was it always like this? Was it more competitive? What do you reckon? To anyone. Or are you all hating on each other now? <laughs> Is it just because we're around these sofas? <laughs> I think me personally, like my experience, even like here of everyone here, when I first came to London, my manager at the time knew of Touching Base, knew of Errol, yeah. like Gil. I knew of Errol via Gil. Um, Above and Beyond, when I was like in my YouTube holes, 10 years old, I used to listen to Above and Beyond all the time. <laughs> I went through that rabbit hole. Hospital were the same. Like Love it. when I was, Love ever, it. I was going through DMB for when we're looking for sample packs, it was hospital. And all of these little things, I remember the Arjuna branding. I remember the look, hospital, I remember again, the branding alone, it's all stuff that um, I respect. Mm. And for me, in terms of um, kind of community and like paying homage and understanding stuff, it's like, it just comes natural to me in terms of wanting to just respect everyone around me who's doing the same thing, always like-minded. I feel like obviously the pandemic has kind of shown the strength of community or lack of, or who really cares about community in terms of um, just moving forward. Um, I think 
it's probably, yeah, I think it's probably been strengthened in terms of post-pandemic because I feel as if people do need to like, the same way you're saying that kind of genres are like fluid or people liking the same stuff are fluid. You see a lot of like labels kind of who you wouldn't really put together kind of doing stuff together, which is really nice as well. Um, but I don't know. I think that people, I think from, my, from what I've experienced, I feel as if people now are less kind of hostile only because we need stuff to be sustainable. And when people are at each other's throats, it's not, it never is sustainable. I agree. Do you, do you get inspired by other labels, other companies within the music space? I know we, all, we often talk within here about stealing with pride, but we always talk, I actually talk much more outside of music. So I think it's just as important that people learn in period in areas like, I don't know, gaming or sports or wicked marketing within football or whatever it is than just as within the little music bubble. What about you guys, Errol or? either um, Annie yeah no I think like we can all just learn so much from each other I think all of us and across these different industries we're all really busy people and sometimes we don't have the bandwidth to think bigger picture in certain areas whether that's gaming collaborations or w wellness space or sustainability and I think we all independently have such a different lane of fan bases as well that it really doesn't hurt us to Agree. just give each other ideas and get together and sit around a table and be like wait how are you doing this and and just help hold each other up agree holding up is a nice thing christ i can't believe it's 12 57 that feels like it's gone through in about 10 minutes um okay final question then we might even squeeze a question in from our little tiny clapping audience today um 2022 is unbelievably around the corner now it's just a few months away Jesus. Um, <laughs> uh, can you give me your hope and fears, uh, mainly with the hopes, though, for yourself and your business in next year? Um, let's start, Chris, with you, so we can come back to Errol. Um, what are you hoping for, mate, in 2022? What are your worries that you might need to get over? Um, I mean, I guess I think the, the natural worry um, is clearly everyone's health, physical health and mental health, because, you know, I, I do not feel that we're out of this yet. Um, we all, everyone here knows the impact it's had on us, our families, our communities. We know what's had on our, you know, effect on our businesses and fundamentally just the life sector, um, which for a lot of us has been fairly devastating, let's be honest. Um, so, you know, the, the biggest fear and similarly the biggest hope is that we get out of that safely and securely that we can, you know, maybe these next six, nine months might be a little bumpy but I think if we can safely manage events of all shapes and sizes and get to next summer and not have frankly the sheer chaos of this summer um, that that would be a major step forward for all of us um, I think also you know for, for us as a company you know it's, it's um I mean you know we I mean we're always learning we're learning more in this current time period than I've ever learned in my life um, you know, as a business owner, I think learning how to support our staff team um, and how to keep them connected and motivated and energized, um, you know, similar to Defected, we have our own, you know, our own building, our own premises with studio and warehouse and that kind of thing. Um, it's currently very flexible hours. And one thing that I'm learning is how I go to my office now and there's maybe three people there and uh, I don't like it. You know, because I miss them and I miss the connectivity that we have yeah. and the ideas that that, that that brings forth. But we, as directors, we're well aware how we need to set things up now in this post-pandemic life to ensure that those individuals, many of whom are quite young, 
um, feel secure and safe and healthy. Um, but that, for me, by far, is the single biggest challenge we've, we we face as a company, and one that I think, personally, you know, I find myself reaching out to Wes and Simon here yeah, at Defected yeah. and Pete at Ninja Tune and yeah. uh, the guys at Anjuna to say, how are you finding it? What are you doing? What do you think we should do next? You know, no one's got the blueprint. No one's no, got the not, template. Not at all. We're all doing our own little versions and probably sucking and seeing. Um, and what you just mentioned there, I think about the importance of some of the very young people that are such the heartbeat of these places and the importance of that connectivity and, and perhaps not the erosion of otherwise basic human ties. Annie, um, your hopes for next year, I assume perhaps along similar lines, bearing yeah, in mind. Yeah, very similar. Um, yeah, we have actually grown so much during the pandemic. And every time I come into the office, it's really exciting. I meet somebody new who's been working yeah. remotely for the last uh, six to seven months. So, yeah, definitely my hope is that we are we have more opportunities to bring all of the am amazing team members under one roof or to a show together so that we can experience the music in nice. situ. Um, so definitely more moments like that. Um, and then I guess, again, to just go back to um, sustainability, just that was a big topic before the pandemic hit and now that we're starting to hopefully come through the other side of that to to really drill into how we can operate with the planet in mind um, across the business i love that and perhaps then sharing that all the way back through all of these businesses and the respectful way that we're describing um who should we go to next come on errol my poet <laughs> i want your hopes for 22 mate let me get a sketchbook out yeah. <laughs> um no, I think, yeah, again, echoing what, what you guys have both said, really, um, more health, <laughs> fundamentally first, but um, yeah, but def definitely for our, for us, um, we're, we're, relatively, uh, we're relatively new in terms of our journey still. I, f I still feel like a baby kind of learning as, as we go. Um, but we've just hired our first, like made our first official hire. We've now got a label assistant. Wicked. And so it's grown from, yeah, just being like me and my partner, Alex, and, you know, the various friends that have helped us ad hoc when they can to now having someone who's like, oh, okay, cool. Like they're looking to me for tasks. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this feels different. Um, which is really special and beautiful. But I think that um, in terms of that professionally and growing our business, um, I just want to make sure we're doing it in the right way. Um, you know, for instance, we hired a, um, like an emotional support worker for our, for our company as alongside having this first official hire it was important because i feel like all the jobs that i've had in the music industry to a certain degree have had <laughs> little to no hr <laughs> and so at least trying to make some moves to yeah like you're moving into sustainability just trying to be better to the to the people it's that we work with yeah brilliant um, yeah this industry can chew up and spit you out yeah. the fact that these are such important hires for the businesses that you're building with tomorrow I just love yeah so um, I think that's it more growth challenge wise yeah I just hope that these clubs can stay open or just the various places that we we do our things in um, we've had to be really resourceful over the years in terms of not always using the traditional venue sometimes you know going from like a Senegalese restaurant to a photographic studio to that's good a Jamaican bakery we had in the past you know like but yeah hopefully um, yeah some of these clubs will stay open so we yeah. can do some things in them I don't know that, <laughs> the bakery club I'm, I'm into <laughs> you into that um, and Collins what about a Kiwi mate what's happening in 22 give us your hopes 22 um, I think 
like what you guys said, just health. Um, I think it's maintaining having the ability to adapt and to like just live and learn. I feel like it's very easy to get stuck in ways, especially within music, I like the same formula, constantly, constantly, constantly. And I feel like for me, it's been great in the pandemic to like actually challenge my way of thinking and what I do and get out of my comfort zone and think, ah, oh, this way that we did this record, was that right, was that wrong? Did it work? Is it because of the pandemic that no one took it in? Creatively, should I stop like being stupid? Should I get a bit more serious? <laughs> it's, no, I never think that. Don't, but don't I, that. No, no, I never think that. <laughs> but um, you don't really think that. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Um, but yeah, just like just to maintain, like just to always have that kind of sense of there's always more to learn, there's always more to grow, and just to keep on like seeking knowledge and just ex experiment and explore. Um, I think, yeah, I don't like. I remember when I first started label, I had like goals, and then. I think it's always more beautiful when you kind of achieve stuff that you didn't even like kind of think of doing. And that's why, yeah, I just kind of have like an open mind. I just want to just take things as they go, keep on like being creative, keep on channeling the same good energy and stuff and just hope for the best. <laughs> I think that is a good note to end on. Um, you've been such a good panel, such good energy. Thank you so much. For this tiny little audience, we give everyone a round of applause, please, to Errol and Annie and Chris and Collins. Um, we might have a couple more questions outside of the broadcast, but I've already run massively over. So thank you so much for watching. Keep tuned all this week. I'm part of our Back to Reality Week. We've got a whole host of stuff from live, live, can't even speak, live radio shows, little pop-up sets, and these little thought leadership sessions each and every day. So thank you so much, and we'll see you soon.